Hebrews 12. I'm going to just read the first couple of verses. Um, For the last three years, I've met with five men at 8 o'clock in the morning because I do a 9.30 live service and simulcast it next door, and then I do 11 o'clock live. So at 8 o'clock, I was free, so I chose for the last three years, uh, finished up in December, to disciple five men. And uh, we did use nothing but the Bible as our textbook because it was more than we could handle. And basically, um, we studied uh, about five chapters of God's Word. Uh, and then we um, followed uh, a friend of mine, Robbie Gallaty's guide in what we call a hear journal. Uh, and really, um, the H, what did you highlight of everything you read this week? Um, can you explain? Because we feel like enough men are not articulate with their faith in Scripture. You, you hear uh, a conversation on the job and you don't feel prepared to step in and say something. Uh, uh, or even if you're asked and, uh, to be able to articulate. So I want them to explain what they've read. And uh, then how do you apply that to your life? And then is there a response that the Scripture is calling for? And then we memorized a verse every week. Don't sound like much, 52 verses. And we memorized. I love to memorize. The Bible says that you ought to treasure or hide, hide, treasure the word of God in your heart that you may not sin against God. Um, How then can a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed to the word of God? This is one of the first memory verses that I did. So I still love to memorize God's word. I'll take a verse of scripture and write it on a card, stick it in my pocket, and in phases, uh, I, I memorize it. And then, you know, by the day, normally I have it. Then I look at it all week, and I'm telling you about a weekend, you know, I've got it. So, and then can find it, and, and it's here, and I can share. And I was on a plane not long ago. It was so fun. And I, um, I, somebody asked me, said, if you travel so much, when do you write? Well, plane becomes an office. I mean, it really does. I put down my little table and take my Bible out and all these notes and I'm just writing. And it's really some interesting conversations. And they'll normally say something to you. You know, like, you teach that book? And, you know, <laughs> so uh, one guy one day said, you, um, you just kind of a norm studying your Bible. I said, I really like to study it. And so it's meant a lot to me and to my family. And really its message has changed my life. And he's a young businessman. He said, yeah, he said, well, you got a, got a word in there for me today? And I said, I, I do, I, I do. He said, what? And I said, uh, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. He said, wow, um, would you say that slower? And he got a pen out and said, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. He said, sir, who said that? I said, Solomon. He said, what's his last name? I said, I ain't got a clue. (laughs) I mean, mean, it's so fun, you know, to be able to to do that. And then I told him, this is Proverbs chapter. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. What, What man, listen, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children, his children are blessed. Who doesn't want his children to be blessed? But they're blessed by watching a daddy. And mama, be people of in, integrity, responding right. 
you know, teaching them to respect the authority. When the kids come home, don't like something the teacher uh, said to them instead of saying, we'll go down and straighten them out. No, you teach them. She's in charge in that classroom. You don't have to agree with me. You have the right to be wrong. So anyway, um, there it is. So um, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. All right, the challenge before us as believers. This is what I'm going to leave it on today. It's one of my favorite messages I've ever written. Challenge before us as believers. And I want to lay it out. There is, there's a challenge. What you do with it is between you and the Lord. Do know this. Too much has been given, much will be required. So there is a responsibility and accountability in your life after you hear this message as to what you will do with it. So let me give it to you in the way I memorized it. Verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, contrast, weight and sin, uh, that beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul, I mentioned it just barely last night, um, kept us in athletic arenas. He would, one minute we're at a boxing ring, the next minute we're running a race. This is definitely, undeniably a race. Uh, it comes hard on the heels, and the reason therefore or wherefore introduces it you, you know, you've, your pastor's taught you this. Anytime you see therefore, you ought to say, what's it there for? And it's always referencing what's been said. So chapter 11, there are no chapter divisions in the Greek New Testament. It's, the, it's a letter. So in uh, chapter 11, he deals with what we call the roll call of faith, the great men and women of God. And uh, you can be encouraged. If you're like me, I read and Talks about Abraham, and I think, I don't doubt I'll ever be like him. And Joshua, oh, not much chance. And then he throws in Rahab, and I said, sign me up. He talks about a harlot that gets converted, and this is good. She's a Gentile, and she makes her way into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Now, that is incredible grace. And so um, you, you read through that, and, and, and it's, like, it's like he's saying... They're now in the grandstands. They're there they're cheering us on. I've got a mom in heaven. I really, she was a great cheerleader in my life. I served as her pastor. I was her pastor when God called her home. After I mentioned last night, I went to college and seminary and came back to my hometown and served for six years. Um, there's a race. Everybody knows this. I've ran Peachtree race. That's the largest uh, 10K road race in the world. And so for years and years and years, I ran that race. And so in the context of that race, here's what we know. Every race has a starting point. Every race has to be run. And every race has a finish line. And the reason I know, I, I, I was going to make sure I crossed the finish line at a certain time because if you didn't finish in less than 59 minutes, you didn't get a T-shirt. And I wanted a T-shirt to wear. So... Did you run the peach tree? Yep, I did. Yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, it was a braggadocious thing. So I've, I've got all those t-shirts. They're faded. Some of them don't even fit me, but I'm not going to get rid of them. I ran the race and finished the race. It's like 
the Christian life, everyone has a starting point. It's called salvation. Mine, January the 7th, 1973. Snowy Sunday night, Wilmington, North Carolina. God stepped out of heaven into my heart. I got saved. Jesus changed me. So starting point. I've been running this race called sanctification. And no sanctification, no salvation. Sanctification, we, we sang it in a song last, last night. Holiness, and here's it's defined. The, the songwriter was using the theological truth in the song. Uh, holiness is Christ in me. That's what it is. Uh, holiness. People used to say, I went to that church with a bunch of holy rollers. You better be careful. Uh, holy rollers would be those who are in Christ. Um, so it's... Uh, uh, Vans Hafner used to say that sometimes we say they're a fanatic for Jesus. He, he said, let me translate that. They love Jesus more than you do. All right, so it's uh, a race. And then one day, we don't know when, but look at me. And this is true. We don't know when. Our race will end. That's called glorification. Now, every now and then someone will make a statement that is not true. Here's what they'll say. Hey, I don't know if you heard old Ben died the other night. I guess he finished his race. No, 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 no. You can finish life without finishing the race. To finish the race, you've got to cross the line, which means you lived for what you were placed here for because I believe God gave you a purpose in life. So, so that's not, not a true statement. So with that in mind, I'm going to really try to illustrate this. I believe in a way that there's a chance you may never forget the illustration of what this text means. So if there's a challenge before us as believers, I want the text to answer the question, so what? Uh, we live in a generation of what, what's are not enough anymore. Why? Challenge before us believers. So here's what I want to answer. What do we need to do? And number one would be this. We need to commit ourselves to the challenge. We need to commit ourselves to the challenge. Now, I love to be a practical Bible teacher. So the question needs to be posed. Pastor Johnny, you're telling me I need to commit myself to the challenge. How do I do that? Three ways. Number one, recognize our burdensome weights. When the Bible says, let us lay aside the weights, let us lay aside the encumbrances, uh, and then let us run with endurance. And this is interesting. Um, when a, your pastor is studying, he has a lot of helps. Uh, I took two years of Greek, but that don't mean you can speak it. But it does give me great resources of how to research it and study it and to understand what I find. So this is what's called, again, I talked about it last night, and it's the same lesson. It's a middle voice when it says lay aside. It's the language of a snake losing its skin. It's a picture of a pastor preaching and removing his soiled jacket. Um, it is something I must do. I, I must lay aside the weight. Someone says this. Listen, I hear it all the time. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people are saying that I probably shouldn't do this. And I've asked the Lord, if he's not pleased with it, to just take it. That would be cool, but it don't happen that way. That would be like me saying, Jesus, I, I don't know if you've noticed, Lord, but I got love handles. And, and I would appreciate it. You take them. I believe if you listen, you'll hear something like this. Go to the gym. 
put your fork down. <laughs> I'm too practical. Matter of fact, the, my favorite book in the Bible, I've written a 400-page sermonized commentary on the book of James, and I wrote a uh, national known commentary that's used in discipleship, taking the name of a, of, of a book that was sort of noted by um, D.L. Moody called Shoe Leather Christianity. Why James? Why does Johnny Hunt love James? James is referred to as a practical theologian. See, I think Christianity is spiritual, but it's also practical. So I am told by Scripture, lay aside weight and sin. So there it is. So let me define weight for you. Uh, weights are that which take away our spiritual sensitivity in our heart. You can't tell me this is a sin. There's no way in the Bible it says this is a sin. No, but it's a weight. Or look at me. I need you to look this way. And y'all are so kind. So, so many of you out there writing. But give it, give it up for just a minute. Look at me. The race starts. The race has a finish line. The reason I may not be able to finish my race is I'm carrying so much excess baggage. It is going to be hard to get there with this weight. If I could lay aside this weight, I could run faster. I would have more intensity. I could get to my goal. But right now, I can't do it because I've got these weights. But hey, hey, don't you pick on me. Wait, something. You, hey, hey, you can't find no verse. Now, I'll tell you what I like to do every now and then. By the way, I think the reason I've gone the distance by the grace of God is I have a sense of humor. You need a sense of humor if you're going to be a pastor. You can't always take yourself serious. So a guy came to me one time and said, I, I don't think this is a sin. You show me a verse in the Bible where it's a sin, and I'll get rid of it. I said, you're serious? You're serious. If I open my Bible, you come here, buddy. And he started backpedaling. And I didn't have a verse. I was just picking at him. <laughs> Son, I had him fretting. I, he thought I was going to find a verse. Thou shalt not. So, um, wait, let me go a step further. I, I wrote several things. A weight may be perfectly legitimate, but it takes the edge off your spiritual life. And then I thought, okay, write some bullet points. And so I wrote Five, and I'm only going to give them to you quickly. Here they are. Number one, weights cut away our hunger to know God better. Why? Because instead of getting to know God better, I'm holding on to my weight. Number two, it takes away our desire to be obedient to the will and the purpose of God. You know what weights do? Hold us back. Weights hold us back. Hey, and then I thought I'd get real deep. A weight? It's a weight. It's something that's added to you that's going to make it harder to maneuver. Uh, weights dissipate our spiritual desires. He that hungereth and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. The pure in heart shall, present tense, see God. Activity, God on the move in your life now. And so um, I, every now and then I'm writing, if you were to follow my 
my notes, here's what I wrote. I wrote, great truth, put it in bold print, underlined it, and here's what I wrote. God never removes anything from our lives unless he gives us something better to replace our loss. And then I wrote this in bold print. This is good. God is not a taker. God is a giver. When you start looking at God, that God is telling you a weight that you need to get rid of. And you start thinking, God's trying to take something from me. No, in the name of Jesus, God's trying to give you something. Some of us will never be free until we give up that weight that God is dealing with us about. My wife loves monkeys. We were in Costa Rica the other day. We went on a monkey tour. Monkeys everywhere, different kinds of monkeys. I can't tell you the name. There's one monkey. He's only about four or five inches tall, but they are not allowed to bring them to the United States. The governor of Georgia was in our church. My wife tried to get the governor to change the law so I could buy her that monkey. I talked to the governor. I said, I beg you in Jesus' name, don't touch that law. My wife, true story, had a monkey when she was a little girl. It was permissible in Wilmington. She had a capuchin monkey. The monkey got tangled in its chain, hung itself. I've told my wife, there's been times I thought of hanging myself. But anyway, uh, <laughs> guess how they catch monkeys? South America. I know that you can't get this kind of preaching just anywhere. <laughs> they bore a hole in a tree the size of a monkey's hand to get it in there. It, they broaden it inside, put nuts. Monkey climbs the tree, places his hand in, grabs the, the nuts, can't get his hand out. All he's got to do is let go, and he's free. But he's captured because he won't let go. You can't receive what God has for you until you let go of what you're holding. It's, it's why I really deal a lot with stingy Christians. I've held many things in my hand. I've lost it all. But everything I placed in God's hands, Martin Luther said, I still possess. If you close your hand around what God has given you, you might hold on to what you've got, but you'll not be able to receive more. So we are to be open-handed givers for God's glory. God is not a taker, he's a giver. So we need to recognize our burdensome weight. So what's happening? I'm in a race. I don't know how far you're in the race. I've been in my race now, January the 7th, marked 47 years. I came to Christ in 1973. And boy, time has flown by. And so this process of race called sanctification, weights at times in my life have in, been encumbersome. And as a result, I did not grow in some years as I ought because of weights. But then number two, it gets even clearer. Not only recognize your burdensome weights, recognize our besetting sin. The Bible says, and let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, the word ensnare is an interesting word. 
A.T. Robinson said that a man would be standing erect and a vine would start at his feet and wrap around his body. That's the picture of the Greek word for ensnare. Now look at me. How in Jesus' name can you run a race with a vine wrapped around you? You can't. You can't do it. No wonder after a while you drop out. Why go to Bible study? You know that you're not going anywhere until you lay aside the sin which so easily besets you. And then I want to go a step further. Why is it, why does he use that word? Think of the word. I love the language of the Bible. Easily besets us. So here's the word I ask. Jesus, why are there times in my life I'm such easy prey? Why am I such easy prey? Um, if you like to fish, fishermen here, this dates me a little bit, but I led a nationally known fisherman to the Lord. He lived in our community, started coming to the church. I started visiting with him, and I was, I'll never forget as long as I lived the day he came to Christ. His name's Orlando Wilson. Orlando Wilson. He was on CNN, Gone Fishing with Orlando was his program. Eddie Rabbit wrote the song. Eddie's uh, no longer with us. And he lived there in the community. So I led him to Christ. So here's what he said. He said, so you were raised without a daddy. So yeah, what do you know about fishing and hunting? I thought, <laughs> nothing. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing you do know. You know how to love your wife and raise those godly children. He said, I've watched it. I'm, I'm impressed with Deanne and Holly. And boy, the way you date your wife every week. And I could learn from you. So we made a pact. Listen to what Orlando said. You teach me. Biblically, how to care for my wife and children. And I'll teach you the outdoors. Now remember, he worked for CNN, so he was best friends with, with Ted Turner. Um, I led Ted Turner's girlfriend, not Jane Fonda, that was later. I led, not Hanoi, Jane. But anyway, I, I led to the Lord, J.J. Ebom. She flew his private plane and was in charge of new programming. I baptized her in Mr. Turner's private lake in Roswell, Georgia. And believe it or not, as a result, and I talked about it this morning just a little bit on the podcast, uh, he invited me into his life. He came to my church to apologize for something he said nationally. So just leave it there. You can Google it, find it. Orlando said, I'm going to take you bird hunting. You ever been bird hunting? I said, no. He said, going to a preserve. I said, okay. So we got bird dogs. And he said, here's what you're going to do. You gun loaded? Yeah, get your safety off, all right? And I'd learned to shoot a gun pretty good. I was pretty good at skeet. So anyway, I, uh, I'm standing there. And he said, in a little bit, we're going to come up on some birds. You probably won't even notice it, but the dog will point. The dog points. You get ready. So sure enough, it happened. Nothing flew. Orlando reaches down, grabs a branch, throws it in the direction. The dog's pointing. Birds fly. Birds die. I'm sorry. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. They were saved. Don't worry about it. I mean, they... so, so anyway, um, Orlando said, um, I, I wanted to bring you here, but it's really not the best place to hunt. And I said, why is that? He said, these birds were raised in pens. He said, um, this is good. This is so good. They didn't have parents to teach them their survival skills. It's a lot easier to sneak up on a quail that you raised in a pen than one that was raised in the wild. They weren't street smart. So they were easy prey. 
Let us lay aside every sin which so easily wraps itself around us. So we become easy prey. And so here I am, I'm, I'm running a race. And when I die one day, they don't have a right to get up and say what Paul said. I've fought a good fight. I've um, kept the faith and I've uh, finished the race. It means that before Nero had him executed in Rome, that he actually felt he had lived out God's purpose. And, and I'll just be honest, you read the accounts of the New Testament, it's really remarkable what he did in his day. But then number three, um, I've not recognized burdens and weights and I recognize besetting sins. I, I've got to do something. It calls for action. I run with patience. It means I run with perseverance. And the word perseverance uh, means you remain under. Uh, you're not an easy uh, give up. The Bible says um, that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Uh, Jerry Falwell used to speak a lot for him. We became close personal friends. He helped me with my daughter's wedding. And we just had a unique relationship. Served on his board for like 12 years. And um, he said a man's greatness will be determined by how much it takes to discourage him. So it, it, things come to discourage us. And I, I just read a new book recently. If you not read it, it's entitled, I Didn't See It Coming. If you Google that, you'll see it. I didn't see it coming. There's one chapter, it's worth the book, How Not to Become Cynical. I do one of the largest senior adult conferences in America. Sometimes when I'm signing a book, a man or a woman may say, and, and you, they don't have a real sweet spirit now, say, pray for me. Say, uh, okay. My grandkids won't even come visit me. And I'm thinking, well, I'm saying I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah. They're cynical. How, how does a person become cynical? Uh, people let you down, and after a while you say, I ain't trusting anybody. No, no, no. Keep believing. Keep trusting. So you've got to press through all that. You really do. Uh, I'm not there any longer, so it's where I used to serve. But I had 17,000 members. You don't think any of them ever ticked me off? 17,000. Thousand. You don't think any of them ever published or said something or blogged something that ticked me off? Yeah. I could have said, this isn't worth it. Flip on it. No sirree. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to run with perseverance. It is worth it. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Man, keep your focus on the goal. And that's what a runner does. When you run to Peachtree, if you've ever run to Peachtree, there's Cardiac Hill. It's out in front of Piedmont Hospital. Whole time you're running, you're thinking, oh, I could pick it up a little bit, but I better not because I'm going to need this energy on Cardiac Hill. And you just learn to endure and persevere. This year, I celebrate 50 years of marriage. I can't believe I'm saying that. 50 years. My, my wife, yeah, thank you. My wife, uh, um, she was 17, 17 days when we got married. She, she practical purpose, she was 16. I was 18. She was a junior in high school. I had to write her excuses when she missed school. <laughs> 
Some days, you know, we were newlyweds. She'd get up and get dressed for school. Ain't nobody here but us and God. And I'd say, dog, you look good today. You ain't going to school. <laughs> and then I'd write a note the next day and tell him she didn't feel good. She was in bed all day. But anyway, uh, <laughs> y'all are saying he's crazy. Now, I'm truthful. I'm truthful. I, I have a bad, I'm bad. My wife says she won't argue with me because I tell everybody. So we, we get along wonderful. Um, what do you mean uh, run with endurance? So I wrote this. It's pretty easy. Uh, there needs to be an intensity about running. I'm very passionate about what I do. I really have. I've been really passionate and had a lot of intensity in my work. Our, uh, to run a race requires energy. Uh, we have to set our sights on the goal. Um, we have to run with enthusiasm and expectation. Uh, we have a goal to pursue. This is sobering. I will be remembered not for anything I did. I'll be remembered for how I finish. Everything a person accomplishes fades to oblivious compared to how they finish. So there's a challenge before us as believers. Pastor Johnny, what do you recommend we do? Let's commit ourselves to the challenge. Would you suggest how we do it? Yeah, would you ask the Holy Spirit if there's any weight in your life that you've continued to justify? You feel good about it because it's not a sin. See, this is a statement. You may not appreciate it, but it is. They wanted me to be on this drug task force in our area because they were concerned that the psychedelic drugs are coming back, LSD. Do you know LSD uh, does not have a scent to it? Do you know it's clear? Did you know that a, a person that wanted to get somebody addicted could take a piece of paper and they could actually put LSD on that piece of paper and ask a person to lick it and they'd be addicted. Did you know that? Only uh, God knows the damage that's been done by illegal drugs. But when you think about drugs, you, you may not like this, but this is true and this is secular, secular. The number one abused drug in the United States is alcohol. You're welcome. Hey, brother, hold on. Legalized. Hmm. Oh, so I really can't say it's a sin, but it could be a weight. Be careful of what you are so happy. And if you live in Colorado, get you some weed, my man, because it's legalized. Oh, by the way, just for the record's sake, as of yesterday, we've killed 72 million babies. It's called abortion, but hey, chill legalized maybe that's why over 2,000 years ago the Holy Spirit led the writer of Hebrews to say don't just tell them sin tell them whites that which we legitimize but number two and I'll just probably go number two and explain it and it'll take all my time we need to consider our example. You know, being a pastor, and some of you have heard it. Hey, I'd like for you to come and visit with me one Sunday. Oop, used to go to church, not into it anymore. Probably never go back. Man, wow, sorry to hear that. Hope I can help you. What's the deal? Oh, I knew a preacher didn't do right. 
preacher may have been an encourager and he may have been a preacher, but let me tell you this. A preacher should never be your example. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The songwriter got it right when he said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus Christ is my example. The word for looking means looking away from everything else. I've made Jesus Christ my central concentration and focus. So I'm looking at Jesus. Well, I, I knew a deacon that didn't do right in the church. Well, a deacon may not have done right, but I'm going to church. And I'm not going. There's a bunch of hypocrites down there. They go to the grocery store too. You have to quit eating, have you? There, there may be some in the lobby of the dentist office, but I hope you won't let your teeth rot. How? And by the way, boy, those are original answers, aren't they? Generation to generation. They're saying, but I want to look to Jesus. So I wrote a simple statement. Jesus Christ is the pattern for our life. Jesus Christ gives the proper perspective on life. Jesus Christ is the procession as author of our life. Jesus Christ is the perfecter of my faith. So again, we live in a generation. So when I'm writing, sometimes I think, I need to move into motive. Why is Jesus Christ my example? Now listen to that verse again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, listen to this language, joy that was set before him, endured the cross, and here's a strong word, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I wrote three things. Number one, Jesus Christ is my example because of the judgment he received. Jesus Christ died for me. He he endured the cross. Did you know that in Matthew 27, when Jesus Christ was being crucified, do you know what he said from the cross? Uh, it was just sort of a statement of authority. He said, you know, they're, they're hitting him. If you be the son of God, prophesy who hit you. And uh, he said this. Do you not know that language right now? I can call my father. And he will send <laughs> legions of angels. And by the way, had he called for legions of angels to set him free, you and I could have never been free. So his love for us kept him there. That'd be a good song. Um, the judgment he received. Um, we live in a generation that wants to... Um, um, try to simplify and, or even maybe eliminate good New Testament words. Well, nobody, nobody understands that word. Well, that's why you teach it, so they'll understand it. And um, you got to be careful that you don't dumb down the message for our teenagers. Our, uh, don't Listen to the dads brag, moms brag on their teenager, and rightly so. My boy aced geometry. If he aced geometry, he can probably memorize Hebrews 12.1. <laughs> Why is he so smart, but when he comes to church, he's stupid? So I think we need to take it up a notch. Raise the bar and watch the students um, go for it. I really do, I, and I could really illustrate that. I told pastor this morning, 22 years ago, I started a movement in our denomination. Jesus put it in my heart that I challenge every senior in high school to prayerfully consider giving a year overseas before they go to college. 
Most of them don't know why they're going to college anyway. We live in a culture that says, better get your education. So 20 years ago, I said, you know, most kids are going to school, have no idea why they're going, and they get a particular degree and don't even use it in their life. And then Harvard just did a study. Google this. 50% of the college graduates have a job that does not pertain to their education. You're welcome. Facts are our friends. So why, why don't you go off and get a worldview? Find out what Jesus is up to. Since he's the one that gives you the purpose of your life. So we have a movement of God. It's called, if you want to look at it, you can go to globalyear.com. That's the ministry I started. Now, I've given it to a staff member. It became so big, he left my staff. And now he has a full staff, and they lead that ministry. We're in 15 countries of the world. Started in here. Where are you going with this? The judgment he received. Let me give you one of my favorite words. I'm, I'm going to, tomorrow, I'm going to, Lord willing, attend my church at 9.30, hear my pastor. And then I'm going to go to 11 o'clock and teach a Sunday school class. And I know what I'm going to teach on. I'm going to teach on um, imputation, substitution, and a big word, propitiation. This is interesting. See if this is interesting. In, in Genesis chapter 7, we have the story of Noah and the ark. Remember? It rained and, you know, you remember all the people flooded and only Noah and his family and their three children and the three uh, in-laws got on the boat. Everybody perished. But chapter 6, God's telling him how to build it. And listen to this, just interesting. Uses the Hebrew word, it says that when you build it, pitch it. On the inside and out. That's like sort of like a tar. The word pitch, if you take that Hebrew word and you transliterate it, and this was done years ago, to the Greek, it uses the word for atonement. The, the ark is a picture of God saving Noah, just like God saved us. There was only one door into the ark, and there's still just one way to God, and that's through Jesus. It's beautiful, how the, the imagery, the typology of that story. So the word back, propitiation, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 that Jesus Christ is not just the propitiation for my sins. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for the sins of the world. Let, let me define propitiation. Wrath absorber. The, the wrath of God was being poured out on me. Stored up, going to be poured out on me. And I cried out to God in mercy. God, forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I repented, which means a change of mind, led in a change of direction. And you know what God did? He placed Jesus between the wrath of God and me as a sinner, and he absorbed what I deserved. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. And so um, I don't know about you, but I just want you to know I'm a big fan of Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I'm impressed with him. Um, I, I really am. I'm really impressed with him and who he is. And so, uh, and the Bible says of him in the book of Hebrews that he's not ashamed to call me his brother. Dog, if he's not ashamed of me, God help me not to be ashamed of you. So Jesus Christ is my example because of the judgment he received. Number two, he's my example because of the joy he showed. Boy, attitude's everything, isn't it? 
Um, you ever had somebody do something for you, but they had the worst attitude of doing it like they didn't want to? Did you hear about the little boy in school? Teacher said, sit down, Johnny. And by the way, that ticks me off too. Why is it always Johnny? <laughs> little Johnny. Why can't it be Todd? <laughs> he says, keep on, you won't be back here March the 29th. Little boy sat down and he started smiling. Teacher said, what's funny? He said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. It's an attitude, isn't it? It's an attitude. Jesus not only died for my sins, he had a good attitude. Who, listen to it, it's good. Who for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising, I don't use that word very much, despising the shame. It means he, he's naked. Think of this. The man who drew, drove the nail in his hand, Jesus made him. Oh, this is good. The tree they nailed him to, he made the blooming tree. And what shame for the sovereign creator God of the universe to subject himself to his creation. Wow. And, um, and then uh, I, I, I was doing uh, Pew Research. You can go to Pew Research. And, and it'll tell you from all over the world, this is neat, preacher, if you've ever done it, what our people wish we would preach. So I'm going to date it, but three years ago, this is memorable. Uh, the number one request in America for what they wish we would preach is there's a stirring out there, even among the pagan, that um, something's going to happen in this nation. I mean, it just seems that we keep, we're more educated, but we're more sinful than we've ever been. And so they said, what does end times? They wanted end times, eschatology, eschatology, the end times, the apocalypse, the unveiling of the end, the book of Revelation, other texts. What does, what's going to happen? I have a Jewish doctor. I had cancer 10 years ago. Carl Capilouto found the cancer and Scott Miller, both Jews, he removed it. And through that, I've had both of them at church with me numerous times. And we really promise you have become close personal friends. We do events together. I go and to some of their events to support them um, for cancer awareness. I was in for a checkup a while back, and uh, Scott Miller, after he examined me, he said, hey, are you in a hurry today? And I said, well, I've got a, a wedding rehearsal, but a little bit of time, what you got on your mind? Uh, I'd like for you to go in my private office, got some questions for you, okay? Go in, and I sit down, get you anything to drink? I'm, I'm good, I'm good, doctor. Hey, um, talk to me about end times. Really? So I, I told him, you know, judgment, whole deal, coming back, and every believer will go to the judgment seat of Christ. Revelations chapter 20, verse 6 and following. Every lost person goes to the great white throne judgment. Read your Bible. Jesus is the one telling the story. Everybody at the great white throne judgment, no exceptions, everybody there is cast into the lake of fire. 
They're judged according to their work. So when somebody says, hey, I think I'll stand before God one day, and I've, I've done a lot of good things, and I think he might let me in, and you may say, that's not how it works. Yes, it is. He judges you according to your works. Only thing is, he judges you according to your works, but he judges your salvation according to the work of his son. But he will acknowledge and, and knows what good has been done. That's just, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of, not of, not of. Works, lest anyone should boast. So I wrote sermons. So I'm just giving you the piece of this. One other statement, and I'm through. I wrote about six sermons on end times. Uh, they, they would be on that thumb drive. And uh, I wrote one. This was fun. Uh, I wrote one on the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Hmm. Uh, you can find it in... Um, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 6. Uh, there's going to be a wedding in heaven. Uh, God the Father, this is so cool. God the Father is going to perform the ceremony. He's going to marry his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to his bride. And you're the bride. When this wedding takes place, the bride will not be the feature of the wedding. The groom will be. But the thing you'll like about us, because we're the bride, is we're going to be without spot and blemish. So if you've got a brother that's in this room and there's some things about him you don't like, come on, be patient. God's not through with them. You're going to hardly recognize them at the marriage supper. He, he's gonna, they're going to be perfected. First thing, there's something different about him. He, he's, he's like Jesus now. In every area of his life. So I believe this. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is omniscient. He knows everything. I think at the cross he was able to realize that I am paying quite a debt. But I am purchasing for myself through my death my future bride. This is interesting if you want to read it. John 16, 20 and following. Jesus gave the story of a woman giving birth and all the outrageous pain she goes through. But he said the pain's nothing compared to what she's going to hold in her arms soon. And they seem to just forget all about the pain when they see what the pain delivered. And so for the joy that beset before me endured the cross. And then last of all, and I'll be through right here on time. Bible says he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. If you will go and do research on this, I found every conservative scholar said that the Hebrew writer, which there's more Old Testament in the book of Hebrews than any New Testament book. And I also wrote a book on Hebrews. I outlined the entire book of Hebrews and I did as I'm doing this study here. I exegetically taught every verse in the book of Hebrews. It was quite a, a, a task. So when I got to this part that uh, the job he completed, they say that what he's done is taking you into the Holy of Holies because he wants you to see something. There's a significance and that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because in the Holy of Holies, you can study the book of Revelations, and it will not only, in the book of Hebrews, it will tell you every piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies. It even tells you the three items that you'll find in the Ark of the Covenant. 
But let me tell you one thing you'll never find in the Holy of Holies. A chair. Because the work of the high priest was never done. Yom Kippur. Every year on that sacred day, um, the high priest, after making uh, restitution for his own sin through blood, he would enter on our behalf. They, they put a, a rope around his leg when he went in because if he was not right when he went in, God kill him. <laughs> and you'd have to pull him out because you couldn't go in there because only the high priest could go in. But the Bible says that Jesus, he's the sinless, blameless son of God. He, he didn't need to offer anything. No sin to deal with. And he went in, and once and for all, John 19, the sixth saying from the cross. Three English words, one Greek word. It is finished. To telestai. Uh, paid in full. Pastor, you've been to Israel. Remember Caiaphas' house? We're absolutely positive that Jesus spent a night in that house. There are some places we, we're not sure we know he was in this region. But um, every research ever done, it talks about they put him down in a pit. And the pit's there over 2,000 years old. But there was a dungeon there where they kept prisoners. You remember that? And remember the indentations where the chains or ropes would go through to time? And then if you remember, if you stood on the outside looking into the cell, there was a place for a placard uh, for you to put a little sign at the top. And they tell us in history um, that the Romans um, would uh, put these uh, Jews in jail. And after they had paid their time, they would take the one Greek word to telestai, and they would place it there. And it means he, the prisoners to be released. Um, Here's what it means. Here's the good news about sharing the gospel. God will do absolutely nothing beyond what he's done to save anybody in your circle of friends and family. Like every now and then somebody says, I think when God's uh, ready to save me, he'll let me know. To which I respond and say, he, he just did. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. As though God made his appeal through me. Through me. That's what the Bible says. God made his appeal through me. I'm an ambassador for Christ. Be reconciled to God. Which means be totally changed by Almighty God. And so when it said he sat down, it was a big deal. And so I just want you to know, he still sits on the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, the Bible says when we get to heaven, Revelations 5, we're going to see him as one slain from the foundation of the world. Mary John Wilkins was the first person I ever heard. How I can't get her name out of my mind. This is stories 45 years old. She sang the song, and I used to have her album. And the lyrics go like this. The only thing there that's been made by man are the scars in the hands of Jesus. Um, Heaven will be perfect. The only imperfect thing you'll see 
It's the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world to make a way for us. So isn't it good news that I've got a message to share? Uh, it's, it's totally complete. Um, the price has been paid in full. Um, nothing in my hands I bring simply to his cross I cling and I can come and have a relationship with him. I pray God will lead some of us to make a new commitment. If you do, share it with someone. Uh, this would be cool. Uh, Travis told me how he went home and after bowling such an awful score, he uh, <laughs> went in and told his, uh, they, his wife what he uh, had engaged in text and considered in teaching. And it'd be something to say, uh, I've gone home before and told Janet this. Uh, God, God really dealt with me at church today, honey. I, I rededicated my life, and I normally am very specific, like in this area, and I want you to pray for me and with me, and uh, I really desire not only to be a man of God, but I really desire to be the husband I need to be to you. I, I ask my wife regularly, I date her every week. We'll date tonight, Lord willing, when I land, go home. And uh, she, uh, someone taught me 25 years ago that I ought to dialogue with my wife daily, date my wife weekly, and, and get away with her quarterly. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got any money. You don't have to have money to get away. Somebody in your church got a camper set up somewhere. Ask them, can you go spend the night in it? Get away. Take a tent, but not in this weather. <laughs> Wait till the spring comes, all right? But, but so we, we try to get away uh, times just for she and I, not us and the kids. Uh, your kids are uh, your stewards of what God has given you, and this is strong, but it's biblical. Uh, you are to be training and teaching your children and preparing them to one day leave. And some of you got newborns, you're thinking, I don't like that. Well, if you'll ask me uh, for forgiveness, I, I, will, I will grant it, all right? That's going to have to think about that for a moment. But, um, but, but I want to I make a difference. So, so I ask my wife this every now and then. I really do. About once a month, I'll just say, how's my emotional love bank? I want to know. Am I meeting your needs? And, and sometimes, here's what she'll say, and I like it when she says this. You are loaded. You have flat made some serious deposit. But, I don't like this, but I have had times she'd say, <clears throat> I feel neglected lately. You're overdrawn. And, uh, and I don't argue with her. I just start, by the grace of God, making deposits. Been doing it for over 25 years. And so I might even ask her tonight, since it's on my mind. But, uh, but I pray you'll press in to Jesus, whatever God, God would have you do. Pray if you're one of those that's never had uh, confidence in where you stand with the Lord. I hope you'll settle it. You're not going to mean much to yourself or to his kingdom until you settle it. And then I hope you'll be faithful to tell others um, of what Jesus has done in your life. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Who you are, all you've done, what you've allowed us to enjoy in Jesus. Thank you for these men. They've been encouraging, to say the least, in every session, whether we're singing together, breaking bread together, studying the Word together. Thank you for their hunger for God's Word. And I, I thank you for the privilege to be here for this fine church. And I pray you would give these men the desires of their heart, 
they're in keeping with the will of God. And you tell us in Psalm 37, verse 4, that I'm to delight myself in the Lord, and you will give me the desires of my heart. Help me and forgive me for where I allow, allow my desires to trump my delight. May my delight in you lead to the proper desires. In Jesus' name.